been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. On the air to help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. Welcome in to the pre-Christmas Get Ready for the Future show. Scott Inman along with John Shrewsbury. We are glad to have you along answering your questions, as always, on the program. I mentioned pre-Christmas. And John, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the first time I can remember. I always strive to, by this point in time, and we're, we're going on the air on December 20th. We know that if you listen on podcast or radio, that might be a different uh, date for you. But we're about, we're five days out from Christmas and I am done with my Christmas shopping. And that may be the first time ever in, I, my, in my life. I have this ice down, Scott. My daughter loves to Christmas shop. So I simply just give her money and say, go buy your mom whatever it is that uh, she wants. And, and then she wraps it and she charges me a fee for that. And I just, I'm like, <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. You have I, a professional I, shopper. I, I have, I have over the years suffered through all the ups and downs of, of Christmas buying and Christmas yeah. gift selection and everything. Yeah. This is the best thing that I could ever do. So, uh, you know, those of you who don't have someone in your family that can do that for you find somebody it's really good i thought you were going to offer abby services no no I, I, she she would probably hang me out to dry if i did that now does your wife like that that's yes, the yeah she loves she's it. okay she, with yeah it. Okay. they 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 okay. converse and i think there's probably some conspiracy that goes on behind the scenes and mm-hmm. all of that which is just fine i you know i want her to have what she wants so well, I, I two things aided me in getting it done ahead of time. My, my wife provided a few things that she actually wanted, rather than just said, "Go figure it out." So that helps. That when, does when help. You, when I have, you know, that's the only kind of shopping I enjoy is when I can go directly in there, get it, and get out, and I yep. know what I'm looking for. That helped. But I did more online than I've ever done, uh, and I fully, highly recommend that. No slight to our <laughs> box store retailers out right. there, but I mean, telling you, when you can do it from the comfort of your own home, it makes a difference. So. Uh, I hope I stayed in budget. I think I did. Uh, hope you did too. Well, things move so fast these yep. days that that it, it's just hard to go get in the car and drive and you know shop yep. through the store and they don't have what the size that you need or whatever the case may be. You know, it's there's there's some upside to it. I hate buying stuff online, but I can see it at Christmas. Yeah, from a financial perspective too, I would again highlight. We talk about this every year probably, but we would highly recommend creating that budget long before November. And December, because my goodness, December, year in and year out for my family, is the highest expense month when you figure out all of the things you're doing at Christmas, all of the year-end things that you're doing. It's always good to have that cushion in your budget before you ever get there. And if you think that the retailers, the box retailers, have all their little ways to lure you into buying things, they, they've got them online, too, and they're very yeah. insidious. So, yes. you know, yep. They are very, very sneaky on how they get you to buy more stuff online. Well, our phones are listening to us. We've known that for a long time. There you go. Well, as we get into the final few days of 2023 and look ahead to 2024, what's on your mind? We want to answer your financial questions, whether it's about retirement, investments, budgeting, Christmas, whatever you want to talk about, just call or text to 
5228. You can leave a voicemail with the call or you can just shoot us a text at that number. You can also send us an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. We want to know what's on your mind and we want to help by answering your questions live on the air, just like Joseph's. Joseph from Russellville, first up on the show today, could HSA, or I'm sorry, should HSA dollars be invested in high growth? I'm 37, only $20,000 left to pay on my house, $80,000 income, maxing Roth and HSA, and getting 401k employer match. Joseph, thanks very much. Health Savings Account, that's the acronym HSA stands for. We've talked about it many times on this program, but John, these are great opportunities for people to put money back on a pre-tax basis. You do have to be uh, eligible for them, and that means you have a high deductible health insurance plan. So oftentimes an employer, if you choose the high deductible health insurance plan, they will offer an HSA to supplement that. And you can put, coming into 2024, up to $4,150 into that as an individual or $8,300 as a family. And they actually do have a catch-up on the HSA contribution limits for those 55 and over. The catch-up is 50 for other retirement accounts, but this is 55 and over. They actually add $1,000 to that if you're older. Because the idea here, John, is for the health savings account, you can use it. There's no 59 and a half uh, uh, catch on it as far as being penalized for taking it out. You can put it in and one year later in the same year, take it back out and use it for qualifying health care expenses. So if you put it in on a pre-tax basis and you take it out and it's not taxed and all that uh, growth is tax-free, works much like a Roth IRA, except on the Roth IRA, you're actually putting in after-tax dollars. So it's a triple tax advantage vehicle if you use it for health care uh, qualified health care expenses. So the question I think for us would be for Joseph being 37 is how is this set up in your life? How are you uh, using this? Because if you're maxing out your HSA at 37, I would assume there may be some ongoing health expenses that he's having to incur. Yeah, possibly so. And and let me first of all say that uh, full disclosure, we don't manage HSA accounts here at GenWealth. Those are not uh, investment type accounts that, that we have any kind of uh, management over or control over. So anything that we're going to tell you about this is strictly opinion. Uh, but I think that that you have to think about this from the standpoint. His his question really was, how can I invest this money? Yeah. And I think you have to think about this almost in the same way that you think about the bucketing strategy as a part of our ready to retire process. You know that that you're going to have some short-term medical expenses that you will want to tap into that HSA account for. Now, you certainly do not want that money to be invested in the stock market because at any particular point in time, the market could be down significantly and you wouldn't have all the dollars available to you uh, if you had those invested in stocks. So we would probably tell Joseph that he should think about a bifurcated type scenario where he has maybe a year or two of expenses in terms of deductibles and coinsurance and things that he will likely spend money on over the next two years. You want to have that pretty rock solid. You want to have that in the most conservative investment option that they have in the HSA. Now, the rest of the money, if you've accumulated money in that HSA and you've maxed it out and you've got a pretty good balance, then you could take the rest of that money 
and set it into a program that invests in some type of uh, stocks or some type of mutual funds, ETFs, things of that nature, and you have a much more long-term perspective on when you might use that money, then that does make some sense. I do think it also makes sense, Scott, from a diversification standpoint to not go all in in high growth in that because yeah. I do think that that you know your time horizon is not 15 or 20 years when you're going to use that money. It might be three or four or five years. So maybe more of a balanced portfolio might be the right thing to do. Uh, and I think that is caveated around the, the question of are you going to use that HSA for health expenses are you going to pay for those out of your pocket and use the hsa to build that up over time i would caution because you do need to use it for health expenses it is not something that you're going to be able to supplement your retirement with and the other thing i would ask joseph and he's told us that he's maxing out his roth and getting the 401k employer match so contributing enough to his employer plan to get the matching dollars so he's getting some good money back into his retirement savings, but is it going to be enough? And I think that's where we would tell Joseph to come in and get a retirement plan built so that you know that you're you're on track with your retirement contributions because they really do, even though you can use the HSA in retirement for healthcare expenses, they're not really your retirement income. You need to have your retirement income on track by what you're con- contributing with an assumed rate of return growth over the decades that he likely has until he's planning to retire. And then it will be able to show you what kind of income those assets will produce in retirement. And then, of course, his individual health situation matters greatly here as well. Scott, I've not run the numbers on this, so I don't know if you can get there from here, so to speak. But one of the things that you could use those HSA dollars for if you are going ahead and taking care of your health expenses out of your pocket you could build up that HSA over time, and it could be a, a, a situation where you could literally self-insure uh, some of your long-term care expenses if you incur long-term care uh, needs after you retire. Uh, a lot of people are, are really hesitant to spend a big bunch of money on long-term care insurance, and I get that because they don't want to think about them needing that type of care. They don't want to think about uh, being old and, and, and not being able to take care of themselves. Uh, but it is a reality. About 50% of the over 65 population is going to incur some type of long-term health care expense. And so an HSA gives you a, at least a partial way to partially self-insure against maybe some of those future expenses. But I would say at 37, that's a uh, Joseph is planning very long term in terms yes. of that, but it is a a uh, use case for that HSA in the future. We didn't even talk about only having twenty thousand left on his house. So oh, congratulations yeah. doing, to Joseph. Doing, doing really well. Next up on the show, Steve from Hot Springs. How can I better understand my risk tolerance? I sometimes struggle with the fear of losing money while also experiencing fear of losing opportunities. I'm thirty four, so it's not like I need to tap into retirement money soon. Not terribly uncommon, Steve, even at 34 years old. You know, there have been studies that show the millennial generation really struggling with the idea of stock market losses or stock losses uh, in their portfolios. And a lot of them have seen what their parents went through in 2008, 2009, and that effect on them. There's a lot of reasons for it. So the psychology behind it we get, uh, but you're, you're on track here thinking about 
34, you don't need to tap the retirement money soon, and you have to adopt that mindset. We've oftentimes seen people of this age too, John, come to us and uh, maybe later in life, and they'll tell us a story of how they changed jobs when they were 34, let, let's say, and they raided their 401k. They went and took it to pay off some debt or to, to buy some boat or whatever the case may be. Now, if you've lost in the stock market and then you withdraw the money and you take the penalties and taxes on that, you really set yourself back on your path to true financial independence. But let's get back to the risk tolerance question. You know, risk tolerance, we, it's something we address with our clients because you do create an investment strategy partially based on that, right? The, the client's expectations, what they can handle, but nobody wants to lose money. Right. The investment objective that is assigned to your account, account does not necessarily help you feel better at night <laughs> about losing money in the stock market. It, it doesn't. And here's what you have to understand about this. Building a risk tolerance is a little like building muscle. There's some pain involved, but there is a great benefit to that pain if you're willing to go through it. And so when you see your account balance go down, you have to have the proper perspective on what you're doing. That is, you know, the old saying, Scott, no pain, no gain. Uh, that's the same thing here in, in terms of investing. And so I think that, first of all, Steve, this is a process. You're not going to flip a switch and suddenly get comfortable with risk. You've got to kind of ease into it. And I think that that is a process over time. One of the most important factors in dealing with risk is the element of time. You have to understand that most of the wounds that you could ever get in investing in stocks or equities or the market or whatever you want to call it is going to be healed by the evolution of time. Time has the ability, if you take a look at how time factors into this equation, it's, it's really almost magical that if you just leave it alone, then most of the time it's going to work out for you. Steve is 34 and it sounds like that, that he's talking about retirement. So mm -hmm. he's got to have the right perspective. Scott, we've got a graphic that I want to uh, walk through with everyone. This is the S and P 500, the best and worst returns all the way from 1926 to 2022. And this really does prove the point I was just making. If you look at any one year, the market could go up. Historically, it's gone up as much as like 52.6%. Mm. But it has also gone down as much as 43.8% in any one given year. So pretty wide swing there. About, you know, you could lose 50% on the upside or 50%, not lose 50%. You could get 50% return on the upside. You could get nearly 50% return negatively on the downside in one year. Well, let's go out five years. If you look at five years, best case scenario has been 28.3%. Worst case scenario has been to about negative 12%. So your downs are not nearly as far down if you go out five years. Well, let's go out 10 years. Well, in the history of the S&P 500, uh, all the way from 1926 to 2022, you're looking at a, a positive return, highest positive return average, about 20.1% over those 10 years, and the lowest at negative 1.7%. Go out 15 years, and there's almost no loss, and an 18.8% return. Go out 20 years, there is no loss. It's a positive 2.4% and the highest at 177 
So what you see is that this is evolving over time and the losses diminish the further out on that timeline you go. We produce a video every week called The Fastest Four Minutes in Finance, and it is oftentimes, John, focused on the market and the economy and what's coming down the pike in the next six to 12 months, and all that's important to prepare for, but we almost always end those discussions by saying, remember, the bottom line here is that stocks are long-term investments used to meet long-term financial goals, so you cannot make a short-term decision based on those those numbers you just provided there on, on a one-year or even three-year basis. And I think the other thing I would say uh, to Steve here from Hot Springs is when it comes to the risk tolerance, it is oftentimes because you're focused on the account value. And I would suggest to younger investors especially, it gets harder when those sums of money, those account balances are bigger when you get to retirement. And certainly your investment strategy does need to change as you get closer to withdrawing that money. But when you're thir- in your 30s, even into your 40s, the focus should not really be on your account value because those any losses in that account are unrealized. You haven't sold anything. It is a number on a page until you choose to sell something. So your fear can be basically a self-fulfilling prophecy if you act on it. But really what you should be focused, John, on rather than the account balance is accumulating shares of whatever investment you're purchasing. Yeah, Steve needs to get a copy of the cow story from us. Uh, I don't even know if we have that video still around these days, but but the cow story basically teaches dollar cost averaging. Uh, Steve needs to be focused on the number of shares that is in his account, not what the value of those shares are. If you're growing a larger and larger and larger number of shares, then you are headed in the right direction. And eventually, as time goes on and you allow this time value of money thing to, to play itself out and the, the long term nature of the stock market and how the market uh, has the propensity of healing most every wound that you could ever imagine, then that actually is a, a recommendation that we would make to Steve to educate yourself about things like dollar cost averaging and the accumulation of shares, because you're really not selling anything if you're focused on retirement. Mm. Really, all your 401k uh, statement is good for right now is either a bragging statement or, you know, something to, to commiserate about. But it has really no bearing on where you're going from an investment standpoint. You know, he does mention, we'll kind of wrap this up with this. It can work the other way, too. He says that he has sometimes a fear of lost opportunity. I think those really work against each other. If you are fearful of losing money and you're hesitant and you haven't stayed on track and you've kind of gone in and you've gone out and you've missed some of the upside of the market, you can start to feel like you have to catch up. And what does that cause you to do? It causes you to read those papers of those hot stocks, right? It is the, oh, this guy's got the best stock tips. And if I just get this, I'm going to make 100% of my money or I'm going to get into uh, digital currency or whatever the case may be. And that can cause the loss uh, the fear of lost opportunity can cause you to take too much risk on. Yeah, it absolutely can. And and I think the other thing that I would say to Steve is that if you have a purpose of what you're doing, then stay focused on that purpose. Don't worry about all the noise that's going on in the financial media, because frankly, a lot of the financial media puts clickbait out there and they want you to be fearful of what's going on so you will come back and find out the next big disaster that's about to happen. Stay focused on your goals. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about the day-to-day movements or the week-to-week or month-to-month movements in the market. Worry about accumulating those shares and getting to where you want to go. 
If you've got a question for the Get Ready for the Future show, you can call or text them to 501-381-5228. You can leave a voicemail or you can just shoot us a text at that number, 501-381-5228, to hear us address your question on the air. Or you can send us an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Next question on the show is from Krista in Little Rock. I'm 64 years old with $715,000 across all my investment accounts. I'm thinking of retiring within the next few years. What questions should I be asking a financial advisor? Get ready, Crystal. We've got a lot for you here. Yeah. First, first of all, I would say, are you going to talk to me about something other than just investments? I think when we work through with our clients the ready-to-retire process, we find often the case is, is that if they have previously worked with a financial advisor, it's not too often that they have a written retirement plan on paper, on purpose. And if they do, they don't often bring it into the room. That's the first question. Are you a financial planner or are you just going to talk to me about investments? And even if you don't ask that question, John, you're probably going to find that answer out in the first five minutes of the conversation. You know, talking about investments when you're talking about retirement is a little bit like going car shopping and talking about the type of tires that are on the car. It really is. You you need those tires and you want to have good tires. Absolutely. But that's not why you go buy a car. You, you look at the color, you look at the features, you look at the, the, you know, what it will do for you and all of that. The tires are an important component, but they are a relatively minor component compared to everything else that you take into consideration in buying a car. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Scott, I think that, that most people focus on investments because they can quantify in their mind, okay, this is what I'm investing in. They look at the rate of return because they obviously know positive is better than negative and the higher the number, the better off I'm likely to be. Maybe and maybe not. What you really want to look at is the strategy. And so that strategy should be laid out in a written retirement income plan on paper on purpose. The next question that you want to ask about that retirement income plan is, will my plan actually allow me to increase my income to keep up with the rising cost of living. We've all gotten a really good dose of what inflation does to your buying power over the last two or three years as we've dealt with the rising inflation since uh, the COVID shutdown. But I would venture to say, Scott, most retirement income plans, if they're out there, do not take into account giving people raises in their income, just like they would expect raises at their work. You would never take a job if you were guaranteed to never get a raise. Uh, You just wouldn't take that job. You would go look for a job so you could keep pace with the economy and inflation and all those things. Your retirement income plan should cover about as long, if if you're lucky and live a long life, it should cover about as long as your working years. And so you shouldn't accept a retirement income plan that doesn't have an inflation factor as well. Another thing I would say, Krista, that you really need to be discussing with a financial advisor is, are they going to talk to you about Social Security? Are they going to talk to you about health care and how to incorporate those expenses into your overall retirement income plan? A lot of times it's just about the investments, as we've already talked about. But you want somebody that's going to take the Social Security options you have and help you maximize your strategy on when to claim. And not only that, John, but incorporate that into the overall retirement income plan when you layer in the other sources of guaranteed income that you may have, the uh, income coming from your investments, and also include the taxation on that so that you can see to the dollar amount 
what you're going to have in spendable monthly income when all sources are combined. Scott, another thing I think is important for Krista to, to just understand and, and be sure that she's clear on what she's spending to get what she's getting. How is your advisor compensated? Mm-hmm. Look, I will tell you there is no panacea here. There's no magic way that if they're compensated this way, it's good. And if they're compensated this way, it's bad. It really doesn't matter how that advisor is compensated. You need to understand what you're paying for. And you need to understand what you're getting out of what you're paying for. Those are the key things that that you need to very clearly learn as you talk with a financial advisor. Some financial advisors can charge a lot of money and do very little for you. A lot of financial advisors can do a lot for you and not charge a whole lot at all. So you need to be sure that you understand what that looks like, what that balance is, and that you're comfortable with it. You're talking about the difference between cost and value, right? That's I right. Mean, that's Absolutely. What we talked about Christmas shopping at the beginning of this show. That's yeah. what we do when we go get gifts for our loved ones, right? What's the quality we're buying? If we're going to pay more for this item over this item that, that really does some of the same things, what is this one potentially going to do for me that this one doesn't? Is it going to last longer? Has it got more features? And it's perfectly understandable that someone will pay more when they have that opportunity to create more value for themselves. Absolutely. Before we leave this point, I think it's important. You are going into creating a retirement income plan. You have to ask the question, what is your experience, Mr. Financial Advisor or Ms. Financial Advisor? What is your experience at doing the things that I need you to do? Are you crafted and experienced at being able to put together a retirement income plan? Have you done that for a lot of clients? What's been the result of that? Are you successful at doing what you're doing? There's a lot of people out there with an investment license, Scott, that have the ability to buy investments. That does not necessarily mean that they know what they're doing when it comes to planning a long-term retirement income plan that adjusts uh, for inflation, takes care of uh, things like sequence of return risk, and also covers the longevity issues that are going to inevitably crop up with a lot of people's plans. You mentioned the license. I would also ask them what licenses do they hold? Because oftentimes the type of investments you're going to get pitched are based on what the advisor is licensed to sell if they don't have all of the license uh, licenses that it takes That's to do that. That's a great point. Well, this, Krista, is a great question. It highlights the need to work with an advisor that's going to build a retirement income plan for you. We're going to call this our question of the week, name it our question of the week. We'd love to send you a free Get Ready for the Future show Tumblr for being the question of the week. Krista, we just need you to email us, show at getreadyforthefuture.com to claim it. And thanks again for your question. If you have questions, you can get them to us by calling and leaving a voicemail or texting to this number, 501-381-5228, or send that email, show at getreadyforthefuture.com. Anything that's on your mind about finances, uh, we are here to address and try to answer for you. Our final question of the day comes from Kiara in Fayetteville. Invest more in pre-tax or Roth? That's the question. I'm a single mom with over $300,000 in a rollover IRA, and 120000 in a 401k with most of it in Roth. Maxing out Roth IRA and 401k, what would you advise? Thanks for the question, Kara. We love the Roth. If you've listened to this program very much at all, you know that. It has great flexibility 
but most of all, it has the tax features we like, which is none, tax-free income in retirement. What's not to like about tax-free exactly. income at retirement? It's a, it's a huge deal, Scott. And, uh, you know, you, don't, you pay taxes on what you contribute, but you don't pay taxes on what it grows to, and you don't pay taxes when you begin to take income. It is a great deal. As long as the government doesn't change the rules, Roth accounts provide for the benefit of tax-free income at retirement and for the cost of foregoing that pre-tax deduction that you get from your traditional IRA or 401k plan. So, Scott, the analogy is, am I going to pay tax on the apple seeds that I buy from the, the farm store to plant an apple orchard and, and forego the, the paying tax on the apples that I get? How's that all going to work? Because it's just the reverse in a traditional IRA. You don't pay tax on the seed, but you pay tax on all the apples. And I think that's a real easy way to understand the benefit of either a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k. So what you need in that case is the time to grow, right? Yes. That, that's the value. So Kiera, I don't think, tells us no, how old she is. So she does not. Certainly it works better for younger uh, investors to do this because over a long period of time, there's the tax-free growth that you get out of the Roth. I think it's a little more challenging if Kiera is very close to retirement and is a higher income earner. We certainly don't know what the tax brackets are going to look like in her retirement or in anyone's retirement in the future. They are likely to be higher than they are now because we are in historically low uh, tax brackets. But if you're earning uh, a high enough income that's placing you into the 24%, the 30 plus percent income, then you, you may want that tax savings now as opposed to when you're living on less in retirement and potentially in a lower tax bracket. Yeah, you just don't know what the tax bracket is going to be. But there's also this factor that a lot of people are not really aware of, uh, and that is a provisional income. Provisional income is a, is a calculation that the IRS does to determine how much of your Social Security is taxable. It could be none, 50% of your Social Security, or 85% of your Social Security could be subject to tax depending on what your provisional income is. And virtually any kind of income that you might have in retirement, even tax-free municipal bonds, are considered to be uh, included in that provisional income. The one instrument that is not included in provisional income is income from a Roth IRA. So for me, I want a big fat Roth IRA mm -hmm. because I can enjoy tax-free income, but it can also help me to keep my taxes lower on my Social Security payments. So that's something to think about as well, Scott. Can I nerd out on this for just a second? Because I, I love the Roth IRA. It is almost this uh, Swiss Army knife of, uh, of uh, retirement products. And, and what I want to share with you is a couple of things that are nuanced about the Roth IRA that can help you to understand the real value here. First of all, if you put money into a Roth IRA, you can take that principal out at any time and you're not taxed and you're not penalized on it. It was your money. It was after-tax money that went in. So if you put, let's say you contribute uh, $5,000 a year for five years. Now you've got $25,000 in principal in that Roth IRA. Maybe it's grown to thirty dollars or $35,000. You can still go get that $25,000 if you have a major need and you're not going to be subject to tax or penalty if you do that. So that's a real positive for the Roth IRA. The other thing, Scott, is that there is a $10,000 exemption for taking money out for the purchase of a home one time. 
it's not penalized, but it, you pay taxes on any of the gain that you have there. So you could put money into that Roth IRA. You could take out $10,000 worth of gain, pay the tax on that gain, but not pay penalties on it. Also, that applies for education expenses, expenses related to a birth or adoption, disability, unreimbursed medical expenses. Now, again, you owe taxes on the gain, but no penalty in any of those examples. A couple other things that we like the Roth for is lump sum purchases in retirement because you don't have to worry about how much you're taking out because it's not going to add to your taxable income. So trips or replacing a vehicle is a great place to tap into. And then the uh, inherited uh, part of this as well, too, because a lot of times if someone wants to leave a legacy, the Roth IRA is a great place to do that because we know about the way the rules have changed on the inherited IRAs. They have to be withdrawn by the next generation uh, heirs over a 10-year time period. So that's a big tax bomb potentially if you're inheriting a traditional IRA because all of those withdrawals are going to be taxable. But if you inherit a Roth IRA, while you still have to uh, withdraw it all over a 10-year time period, every withdrawal you make is tax-free. So it's a great way to pass money on to the next generation. Yeah, and you could just literally just take that out of the Roth IRA and drop it into an after-tax investment and you're just fine. Nothing has to change there. Kara, thanks very much for your question and thanks to all of our questions today. You hear the final bell there in the background. It is time for our final thoughts and John, we'll start with you. Scott, there's a lot here today on the show, but I want to really kind of go back to to Steve and Hot Springs because I, I am very concerned about this generation, this uh, millennial generation, and their fear of risk. Uh, being in a situation where you learn and understand about risk and use the things that the market gives you to your advantage, and don't put yourself in a position where you're investing money that you're going to need next week, next month, next year, next five years, or anything like that into equities. You want to put money into equities that you're going to need a long time from now. And that certainly is the way to do it. And that helps you to understand uh, the risk that's involved. It helps you to understand the rewards that can be involved in investing in equities if you do that the right way. I think to piggyback off of your final thought, John, I would even say what Steve needs and everybody needs is proper perspective. We talked about that when answering his question, but that proper, proper perspective has to be reinforced over and over again. And I would encourage Steve and anybody else that uh, wants that perspective on the markets to sign up for our fastest four minutes in finance. We deliver that to your email inbox every Friday morning. And in four minutes or less, we're going to address topical things when it comes to the market, the economy, retirement, uh, anything money related. You can sign up by texting the word FAST to 501-381-5228. That's 501-381-5228. Just text the word FAST. You can also go directly to our website, getreadyforthefuture.com. There'll be a place under resources to look for the fastest for you can just put your email in there and we're not going to blow your email inbox up with a bunch of emails you'll get that one every friday morning and i think it's a great way to keep perspective on the market that is all the time we have for this week's get ready for the future show as always we thank you for being with us and as always if you have a question we're here to address it call or text it to us at 501-381-5228 and we will see you again next time 
Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building toward financial independence, share the podcast with your friends and family. The Gen Wealth financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866 653 7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.